0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, just to say a few words about um, this topic of joy and maybe put a little of the teachings that I was offering in, in some sort of structure or, or context. Um, It might be a relief to hear, or to realize, um, or to have some inkling of uh, this sense in the Buddhist teachings that joy or happiness is, is not something that we need to um, invent. It's not something that we need to strive for. It's not something that we need to figure out. That it's actually, um, you know, the, the, the proposition is that it is the natural state of the mind. It's the natural state of the heart when, it's n- when the heart is not colored, you know, is not colored over, covered over by greed, aversion, and delusion you know, so, you know, you might believe that, you might not believe that, and it's totally fine. But that it's that's just the sort of, you know, from that statement comes the practice. And the practice is saying, in a nutshell, if we want to be happy, you know, the most useful thing we can do is... Um, Look at, study, and get familiar with all the ways that we're unhappy. You know, um, all the ways that we uh, sort of cover over this basic radiance of mind. You know, and the radiance comes from, you know, from the absence of something. It Comes from the absence of something. Um, and so, just you know, just just to kind of plant that seed Um, because in a way understanding that the meditative path and the meditative progression starts to make more sense you know if you think about any of the maps of meditation you can take like the seven factors of awakening it starts with mindfulness you know mindfulness is the core practice Um, just just to look, just to see, just to know and then investigation, to somehow look more closely, more carefully. And out of that careful, close-looking um, brings about a certain kind of engagement, a certain kind of, you know, really connecting to experience with energy, with effort. Um, out of that engagement, you know, s- says, says this teaching, comes joy. Um, Even apart from meditation, I think most of us know the experience of being so sort of engaged in an activity, so immersed in the activity, even reading a book or something, or watching a film, that, you know, there's just, there's something pure about it. There's no room for self-consciousness. You know, when, when we're so in something, you know, one of the examples people sometimes give is dancing. You know, if you like dancing, or if you're da- you know if you've done some kind of partner dancing or something, there's a sort of, or playing music is another is a great example. You know, or singing in the shower. You know, we don't sing in the shower to you know for something else to happen. You know, it's not a means to an end. It's just this expression. It's just this. You know, and we're in the moment, and we're not. You know, particularly don't particularly care how it looks or how it sounds or, you know, and that, that's the kind of engagement that brings joy. And so, you know, if you can almost imagine bringing that sort of um, innocence to meditation practice, you know, to just sit and totally be here and totally be uh, present for who and what we are, how we've shown up in this moment. You know, it, it has kind of, it's kind of purity or kind of innocence. So that kind of engagement is what brings the joy. And, you know, and, and very often, like with any of these activities, we pop in and out of it. You know, you may be in it for a little bit, and it's like, oh, well, this is pretty great. And then you kind of think, oh, this is pretty great, and I'm pretty great, and, or whatever, you know. And then we pop out, and then we pop back in, and then we pop out. You know, so just noticing that, being aware of that, this progression and then the joy itself is said to ripen, to mature into calmness, tranquility, and samadhi. This collectedness, um, unif- unification of you know, this is this is sort of a, a deeper version of that investigation and uh, engagement, where we're so unified and so merged that there's no space for a self to be formed. You know, if you can kind of imagine that. Um, In in the deeper states of samadhi, it's said that greed, hatred, and delusion are temporarily suppressed. They're temporarily absent. So it's sort of like a, a preview of awakening, you know, in the the deeper states of samadhi. So you could think about it that greed, hatred, and delusion are suppressed, or the other way I like to think about it is that we're we're so engaged that there isn't a separate self available for greed to land on, or for, you know, or for hatred, anger to land on. You know, it's just like, it's not relevant. There isn't, there's nothing for it to land on. And then, and then, these this this sort of meditative journey culminates in upekka, equanimity, which is um, this balanced ease, you know, being totally centered, totally balanced, um, sort of non-reactive. That something great happens, but the mind stays balanced. Something terrible happens, we feel it. We feel it. It's a, you know, it's not a detachment but the mind stays balanced. It's almost like there's an independence from conditions. And it's said in that state of equanimity, um, when the seven factors are balanced and the mind is, is, is very still and balanced, there's a possibility of opening into, um, you know, opening into the unconditioned, opening into a kind of deconditioned awareness. Um, and one of the ways that this progression feels experientially is the feeling of it is of doing less and less you know so in the beginning when we start to meditate and practice mindfulness you know it takes quite a bit of effort it's like training the puppy so you know puppy wants to go there and go there and think about this and think about that and, and dream about the future and worry about the future and remember the past And so we're always sort of you know, come back, come back, come back, come back. You know, so we're, we're training the mind. And it takes us, you know, that just, it takes a certain amount of energy and effort to do that, to kind of just, you know, keep coming back, keep coming back. So Gil often talks about that as, as every time we wake up and come back, you know, we've been lost in thought and then we come back. Every time we do that, we're strengthening that muscle, of mindfulness. You know, it's like doing a rep. So you come back. You know, so it's like you may do a thousand reps in 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 an hour or in a day or something. And which is great. Which is great because it's just training the mind. It's training the heart. Um and then as mindfulness starts to take hold as a habit, as a default mode, it takes less effort to be here. It takes, so, you know, that container becomes bigger, becomes stronger, and can hold a wider range of human experience. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I can, I can be mindful for two hours while I'm watching a movie. <laughs> you know, an interesting movie. And, you know, that is a certain kind of mindfulness, a certain kind of... Not everyone can do that. You know, I don't think my kids could do that. You know, they're four and two. You know, doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. That's just too long and too, you know... But we've sort of trained ourselves or whatever where it's pleasant enough, it's engaging enough that we're willing to stay there with it. Um, but not that many people are interested or willing to stay there and be present for a very difficult emotion for two hours, you know? Um, so we tend to cut away when something is unpleasant. We want to be there when it's pleasant. We want to enjoy it. But as soon as it changes to being unpleasant, we're gone. You know, we're out of here. Or we throw in something pleasant. So the classic example in sitting is, you know, you're sitting relaxed, comfortable, the breath is nice, you know, it's fine. There's some thoughts, but it's not too disruptive. And and then (coughs) there's a knee pain. And the knee starts to hurt, or the leg starts to fall asleep. We may not be aware of it, but many of us make a choice and the choice is that this unpleasant physical sensation or could be an unpleasant thought or unpleasant emotion is pretty rotten and pretty unpleasant and it's not that fun to be to be here with it and you know what would be more fun would be to think about hawaii or you know or to think about you to have a pleasant fantasy or something. And so we... Or to think about that great memory of something. And so we drop in something that's pleasant to replace something that's unpleasant. You know, this is just the way the, way the mind works. And, um, but with practice, we're building our capacity to simply be with you know, restlessness, to be with difficulty, to be with frustration, to be with boredom. It's, it's an amazing experience to be with, to kind of sit through a really difficult experience, to sit through a difficult emotion. And when we sit through it without reacting to see how quickly it changes or it can change into something else. It's, you know, it's, it's so doing this. We start to educate ourselves that we are training the heart that it's okay to be here, to be present. We can trust this moment with whatever comes up. And so the more we have that trust, the more we have that um, ability to sit with our, our minds, our hearts, something starts to settle. You know, and 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 this joy can start. This sort of non sensual joy can start to emerge. Um, so that's one one way or one model of of looking at it. Um, I mean, so we talked a little bit about mindfulness of just being being present for our life and how um, when we're not caught up and distracted, we're, we're, we're available to experience all the beautiful things that life has to offer. Uh, so that's one aspect of joy in mindfulness. Mindfulness involves being present, right? Being here, being present, um, without desire and aversion. So it's said that a moment of mindfulness is a moment of non-clinging in some way. So then this non-clinging you know, is what I was talking about when I said that the relationship with experience regardless of um, what's happening, is there some way of engaging in relating to experience um, that is peaceful, that is not contentious, that's not fighting experience, not, that's not in conflict with our experience. This, this ability To not be in conflict with experience, you know, is this other way talking about where joy can emerge? Um, Joy is uh, one of the useful aspects of joy. Is that um, if joy? Is what emerges when we're not clinging. We can, we can in a way reflect on using joy as sort of a barometer of our clinging. You know, um, so I mean, is, is it, again, this is just something to sort of play with and explore, but but just to notice: is is there? Is there some joy and some sense of well-being? Um, if there isn't, if that's absent, then, or you know, if that feels blocked or if that feels suppressed, then that may be a sign that there's some things, there's some clinging that, that's present that we might not be aware of, some expectation, some, uh, something that's, that we're not conscious of. So anyway, it's just a, You know, it's just a way of thinking about joy and clinging. So the third thing is um, this aspect of cultivation. Joy is the foundation for concentration, for samadhi, uh, for tranquility. Um, And, of course, samadhi, that collectedness, that unification of, of the heart, brings joy. So, um, again, just understanding that connection. Um, if we want to be more calm, more concentrated, more equanimous, um, look for the joy, look at the joy, look at where, where, where the joy is present, when the joy is absent. Um, notice what, um, to really notice what brings about this kind of joy in our life. Um, Classically, um, the advice uh, from from the Buddha is, if you want to be happy, if you want to be joyful, uh, the first thing is to take care of your sila, your ethics, you know, there's something about living a life of that's ethical or a life of integrity that um is promotes well-being prom- promotes joy you know at the very least we don't have to um you know it's it's kind of a drag to have to keep track of all of our lies <laughs> you know and that the kind of remorse of uh, um, of uh, you know of things that we regret, um, which is not to say that. I mean, I think I think probably all of us uh, have have done things we regret. I mean, there's one. There's a what's what's that saying like? you show me someone with a clean conscience, I'll show you someone who has a short memory, <laughs> you know. So, so a big part of the meditative path is actually bringing in um, forgiveness, actually. Forgiveness for ourselves, forgiveness towards others, compassion towards self, compassion towards others. Finding a way of freeing ourselves from unskillful Actions in the past. And then the beautiful thing about ethics and Sila in Dharma practice is from anyone can make the determination from now, you know, from right now, I will do my best to, you know, be ethical. You know, it's it's not like, oh, I did something so that's kind of, you know, that has stained me. Ethics is is a very uh, dynamic and present moment quality, you know, in dharma practice. So, um, there's one other thing. Yeah, so, so in a way that's sort of the basis. Um, generosity. Um, compassion, loving kindness, cultivating these beautiful qualities, are said to be extremely supportive of joy. Um, and and then and then the final, final uh, blow with that poem. <laughs> Which is, the, which is the joy that comes from insight, the joy that can come from really s- deeply seeing how things are. You know, um, the awakened ones always laugh and sing. You know, the Buddha was called the happy one. You know, he wasn't called the concentrated one or the... <laughs> or the the mindful one. He was the radiant one. He was the happy one. And people saw his joy, saw his radiance, and said, and actually saw themselves, you know, saw what they could be, what they could have. It's a mirror for what's possible for us as human beings. Um, When we let go of the burden, put it down, put our clinging down, um, Jack Cornfield tells the story of uh, of parachuting. You know, maybe some of you have heard this of the uh, the the analogy of of Dharma practice or of um, of insight as. jumping out of an airplane and at first there's just this weightless magical sort of floating right you know I've never done it but that's that's what they say and and at a certain point you realize hang on a second you know there's a direction <laughs> to this and I'm going down and then you go to open your parachute. But you realize that actually there is no parachute. or You don't have a parachute. So we're free-falling without a parachute. And this can bring up a lot of fear, a lot of uh, disorientation. Um, And what allows that, what dispels the fear is the realization that even though I don't have a parachute, it's okay because there's no ground. You know, so there's no parachute and there's no ground. And that is, um, uh, you know, it must be a big relief, a, a real, a real joy to, to notice that, oh, there's no ground. There's nothing to fear, absolutely nothing to fear. Just in closing, I would say that, um, yes, there will be bumps in the road and there will be sort of, you know, variation, but any spiritual practice or meditative practice uh, such as this one, uh, tends to, you know, we're, we're, There's a direction to this, we're moving in a direction. And the direction is of less clinging, less fear, um, less sort of uh, neurotic desire and aversion, um, and more joy, you know? And that's that's the direction. So you can kind of, it's a way of just sort of checking in with our own practice. If we feel like we've sort of been practicing for a while and we've plateaued, plateaued on the joy, plateaued on the clinging, or we're or somehow, we've, we've made a U-turn. <laughs> um, it happens, you know, and we get caught, and it's like you could do a lot of retreats or a lot of mindfulness practice and, and, and some, get to some layer of the psyche that you just, you get caught and you get stuck. Or something happens, something happens that throws us for a loop that's like a totally difficult or unexpected trauma or or, or thing, and we sort of get caught and stuck. And, but just to be aware of that and just to, you know, um, talk to someone, talk to a teacher, talk to, you know, a friend in the community that the the, the, the direction is towards more ease, more joy, more well-being, more freedom, you know. Uh, more freedom among all the different changing conditions. You know, if I'm only free when everything's great, you know, that's, that's okay. But that might not be such a valuable refuge, um, because things will change, things do change. But we are—we're tuning into something that doesn't change. We're cultivating something that um, is independent of the changing conditions, and, um, and, and in that way, it can be—it's the kind of joy that can really be a refuge. Um, it's the kind of joy that may not always look like joy. You know our, what our conventional idea of what joy is, but um, that can be a real refuge. Okay, um, so I thank you for your practice and for your your sincerity, your your joy. I hope your joy grows and leaps and bounds and is is a source of nourishment, you know, for you on this. Uh, on this path it's you know it's a beautiful path and um, I wish you a lot of joy every step of the way oh, thank you very much